just uh, direct your attention to the gold sheet that you have uh, in your worship folder, and that'll have sermon notes on it that you can follow along with me uh, this morning. And then uh, there's also growth group questions on the back. And, you know, as we begin and we think about this, this lie that Satan gives us today and that we want God's truth to free us from, I couldn't help but um, just think of an ad from a few years ago that just so succinctly captured something that I want so often in life. It's, you, see the, you see the symbol of it. It was a Staples commercial, the office supply um, store. The easy button. This big, red, simple button with a nice, big, easy on it. And the commercial would just have, you know, somebody runs out of something in the office, push the easy button, staples, they'll get it for you. It'll be yours. Uh, in fact, there's one ad even where the guy loses his easy button, so he uses someone else in the office, their, their easy button, and they can find the easy button. It, it's, it's just, I mean, it's so simple, but it's, it's pure genius because I don't know about you, but I mean, I want that. I like that. Parenting, easy button. Oh, that's awesome. Commute, easy button. That's awesome. Um, you know, you, you name it, it would just be so simple to have that. I think it's something that, you know, we, we crave because so much of our life is relatively easier um, than maybe in times past. I mean, do you think of the access to information that we have today? I mean, at your fingertips in the technology that we have, you have access to information that people in years gone by would have only had if they happened to work in, like, the Library of Congress or something. Uh, you think of, you know, the fact that you could just drive down, you know, this road and anywhere along the way you could stop. And uh, maybe you don't have any food in your house, but you could stop and get some fast food for a reasonable price your way right away. And, you know, that, that's easy. That's simple. I like that. I, oh, I, I hesitate to share this, but, you know, uh, you know, even there's convenience products like Febreze, so if you don't want to do the laundry but you want to smell like you did, you could just spray yourself down. Now, that may have been more than my bachelor days, and my wife doesn't let me get away with that anymore. That's probably too much information, my daughter would say, but, uh, you know, life, it, it should be easy, right? An easy button. I'm not vilifying technology or the time in which we do with all the capabilities and the control and, and other opportunities that it affords us, but I, I think one thing we have to see is that sometimes we don't just find ourselves saying, well, thank you, God, for maybe allowing me to have a life that's a little different than maybe in times past, easier in some respects, but sometimes we find ourselves saying that everything in life should be easy. Life should be easy. Today we want to see that that's a, that's a lie that Satan plants in our hearts, and sometimes it's just there already because our own hearts are crying out for that. But today we want to see God's truth and have that truth then affect our attitudes and our behavior and set us free. So we're not just stuck in that box, living in a limited world that you know could be so much bigger than what we so often see or limit ourselves to. And, and the truths that we're going to look at today are very simple. First of all, Life will be hard, but we have a good God. Simple. Life is hard, but God is good. As we do that, we're going to look at the words of a, a, a man, a Christian writer named James, that God used to write to some Christians that I can say are new Christians because uh, he most likely wrote these words within 10 to 15 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so basically at that time, everyone was a new Christian. There were no long-time Christians, lifelong Christians at that time. Um, and as he writes to these new Christians, I think there's something that, that was there for them to take to heart because they too felt the, the pull of this lie, and, and then certainly for us as well. Um, at this time, we'll, we'll get into those, those verses for today. 
And uh, the, the first, first verse there that we look at, oops, sorry, is uh, the second verse of chapter 1 here. So he starts his letter in the conventional fashion. He says, this is who I am. I'm writing to all these, uh, at that time, mainly Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the world. He greets them. He says, greetings. And then in the second verse, that's what we're looking at here. Second verse. Hey, he says, hi. Howdy. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Greetings. You're going to suffer. Life is hard. Notice he doesn't say if, because I kind of would like if, you know, because then I could ask, what are the odds? What are the odds gonna, that are going to be that I'm going to suffer? But right away he says when, when you face trials. The odds are 100%, and so do these new Christians, and to us he says, know that you're going to suffer. Don't think that Christianity isn't working when maybe life is hard, because it's going to be. As we think about that, I, I think we just want to kind of expand something that I, I just kind of dwelt, and sort of, dwelt on in a sort of lighthearted manner at the beginning and, and ask ourselves, why is it that these words could be kind of jarring whenever you face trials of many, or many kinds here? I think there's a number of reasons, and, and I, I, we just have to at least put our finger on, on them for just a moment here. First of all, I think... Think of the, the things that the human race has been able to do over the last hundred years. You know, we've been able to put people on the moon and send spacecraft to Mars. We, we um, have cars and, and airplanes that can take anyone to just about anywhere they want at any time. We have medical technology that alleviates much suffering and pain compared to generations before. We have um, uh, um, medical technology and vaccines that have also thwarted so many diseases and praise God for that. But what can easily happen is that not only do we say, well, well, I, I guess it's a good thing that we live in a time that's, that's got some of these blessings and uh, that we, we can solve some of these things, but we can very easily take the next step and say, well, shouldn't we be able to solve all of them? Right? We should be able to figure that out. I think there's another thing that can sometimes get, get us thinking that life, life should be easy. I think sometimes it, it, it comes because of the, the dawn of social media. I mean, we have access and, and we get glimpses of people's lives you know, that are far away from us, some that we're just nominally acquainted with. But, but when you think about what do you see, what image do you see of those people when you go on social media? I mean, largely it's the positive things, the things that are good, when life is going good for them, vacations in Jamaica, or nice happy family gatherings and pictures, and typically there's not a ton of suffering going on there, and so for most young adults, I read somewhere that, you know, they, they look at all of that, and they're heartbroken as they see everything going on in everyone else's life, their happening lives, the meaningful things that they're doing, and how easy their life seems, and, the, and for the majority of them, they say, well, my friends, they, they've friends, whatever that is, they have life better than I do. You know, life, life should be easy, right? And I, I, don't, I don't see that compared to these people. I think sometimes it can come because some Christian teachers and pastors can get mixed up in this kind of uh, thinking where, where, where they start to say, well, God loves you and he wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so if you love God, if you just, you know, you give him your all, 
he is going to make life good for you, easy for you. It's almost like one, like one Christian teacher said, you know, God is like a pinata, you know, full of all sorts of good things, and your faith is like a whacking stick, and if you just have a big enough faith, boom, all the stuff is going to come out all over you, and it's, it's going to be grand, life is going to be easy. Or, or maybe it's even just sometimes the impression that self-help books and other things, I mean, just Google, quick, easy steps online. Quick, easy steps, you know, to fix this, to fix that. It should be easy, right? It should be quick. You know, finally, one last thing that I, I have to also remind you of, too, is that we live in a culture that is largely secular. That means that, you know, it's a culture that basically says that this life is all there is, there's nothing after. Even though we don't believe that, that's still the culture which we largely live in. And so the purpose of this life is to just find happiness in whatever you want, whatever you choose. But what does that mean when you suffer, you feel pain or frustration or boredom? That doesn't make me happy. That doesn't make me feel good. So you have to get rid of it or... Well, there is no more. You have to get rid of it or else you can't find happiness. Because of that, we find ourselves not only saying that life should be easy, but life has to be easy, or else we find ourselves downright frustrated, maybe even worse, depressed, maybe just devastated. That's maybe what the world tells us, and sometimes our, 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 own, our own thinking can get caught up in that, that life should be easy, but James today just says, not if, but when. Life is going to be hard. Now, I think we should, we should recognize that that's not something um, that James is kind of pioneering here as he, he say, says these words. I mean, this is something that's all over the pages of Scripture. If you just open up and you just kind of do a quick glance at some things throughout Scripture, you see that life is hard for God's people from the beginning of the Bible to the end. I mean, just look at, um, look at for example, in the book of Genesis, Joseph. This man that God, God picked to be the one that was going to save his, his family and the people of Israel that would come from them. Save the people of Egypt. He was going to preserve through Joseph the line of the Savior because it's from Joseph's family that that Savior was going to come. Joseph was that person that was going to do that. But you look at Joseph's life. He starts off by being sold into slavery by his brothers. That's not easy. He goes and he serves faithfully in that um, slavery uh, to a man named Potiphar, Potiphar sorry, and he gets imprisoned unjustly for something he didn't do. He is given the ability to interpret dreams, and he says to a man who, whose dream he interprets, don't forget me, and the man gets out of prison, and he forgets him. That's hard. That's not easy. You could look at a man like Job who, who has it all, but not just that he has it all, he is an upright man, a man who is very godly. It, it, it's, it's, it's his faith showing itself in every aspect of his life. But what do we see? He loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses his health. Just think of, um, say, the Apostle Paul. We talked about him a little bit already. But in one section of, of Scripture, uh, he, he talks about how he's, he's been beaten with rods numerous times. He's been um, um, flogged. He's been in a shipwreck a number of times. He talks about how he was pelted with stones and, and left for dead. Finally, after that occasion that that happened, he, he gets up and he goes into the city and he says, Hey, brothers. We have to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Boy, that, that's an understatement after you've just been pelted with stones and left for dead. 
Life is going to be hard. You see it in the lives of God's people. And, and finally, James says that because Jesus, his Lord, said it himself. In this world, you will face many troubles. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cross and not the couch we said before. Life, life is going to be hard. And I think the first thing that we need to see is that that's something that Scripture just, just um, says front and center. And, and, and we need to see how that might play itself in our, in our lives as well so that we're not suddenly shocked when maybe life gets hard. You know, what this means is that when James says you're going to face trials of many kinds, that means that you and I, we're going to, we are going to be ridiculed for our faith. Not in spite of it, but because of what we believe. That's hard. There's going to be times where maybe you do everything as best you can to be the best parent you can be, and yet your kids can still frustrate you. That's hard. Believers, faithful in the word, I mean, they can still end up battling mental illness and, and, and other physical illnesses. That's, that's hard. Christians, well, Christians face a battle that's kind of unique to them. Sometimes it's a battle that comes because of the internal struggle. They have a, a spiritual nature, a new nature that we talked about with baptism, but then they also have a sinful nature that's still there, that still hates God's word, that doesn't like God's will, doesn't like God's way, and so it's always just struggling. That's painful. That's hard. We're going to weep over the casket of loved ones, uh, random car accidents, um, tornadoes, they, they can. I'm not saying it's going to happen to everyone, but they can come into our lives just as they can come into unbelievers. And finally, death. Death itself. We're going to face it. Nobody is immune from that. Life will be hard. James says not if, but when. But what do we do with it? if we just simply shrug our shoulders and get frustrated and, 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 and devastated because life should be easy, we're buying into Satan's lie. No, James says that that's not the answer. Instead, we have to look to our good God. That's where we always have to start. It, it's so important because what we have to realize is that piggybacked on that lie that life should be easy is always another lie that Satan gives us, and that's this lie, that if... If life should be easy and my life isn't, well then, God must not love me. God must not care about me. And that's it. Where as we look at these words, and as blunt as James is about suffering, he's very front and center, very blunt also about the solution to this. He points these people to the good God that we have. Now, I realize in those opening verses, he doesn't say good God. But what you have to know about these verses here is that, and the whole letter is that James is writing to people that he assumes are believers. It's throughout the letter that you see that. He's not trying to convert them to the Christian faith. He's not trying to give them all the basics of the Christian faith. He, he, he's writing to people that he knows are believers already. So he can simply just say something like consider. And notice, it's a, a thought word, one that deals with our minds and our hearts and what we believe. Consider, reflect, evaluate what you have, what you know to be true, and he knows that as soon as he says pure joy, all joy in the Greek, they have to think of the good God that they have. 
That's where you always have to start whenever you face suffering. Because of that other lie that Satan gives you there, that God, God doesn't love me if, you know, if, if I'm suffering, if my life isn't easy. Because when you do, the first thing that you have to think about is what did that God do? You know, on your sheet there, I say we have a good God who suffered for us. See, what we have to see about suffering is that God didn't create suffering in this world. He created a world that was perfect. He looked at it on day six and he said it was very good. There was no suffering or pain or, or just maybe frustration or boredom in it. But the Bible says that death and all of the other hardships in, it, in this life came with sin. But our God didn't stay distant from all of the hurt and heartache in this world. He didn't just kind of shrug his shoulders and say, man, they really messed that up. Good luck. No, he didn't even say, well, this is the just desserts of what they did. So good. Not when you look at the cross. Not when you go there. Because what do you, what, what do you see there? You don't see a God who's distant and removed from our suffering. Even when it feels like he's absent in our personal suffering, what you see at the cross is you see a God who plunged himself right into it and more. Right? You know, we feel sorrow and we're grieved by the, th- the fact that life isn't always easy, but, but on the cross, Isaiah says, there you see the man of sorrows, just completely characterized by heartache and sorrow, and the word can even be pain. What you see on the cross is you see God himself subject to injustice, things that are just totally unfair. You see God subject to weakness, to imprisonment, to pain. You see a father who's losing his one and only son, sinless and perfect as he was. You see the son crying out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't lie. He doesn't pull things out of proportion. He is truly being forsaken there. But he's not just suffering like we do. He's suffering more because when he says that, he's saying, God has removed his love. God has removed his blessings from me. That's at the very heart of what the punishment of hell is, that God's love and his blessings aren't there. The question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why? God on the cross, Christ on the cross, that suffering that we see Jesus plunging himself into, that means that our sins are forgiven. That means that he, he loves us and um, he, he's doing this because he wants to win our forgiveness so that one day he can get rid of all the suffering and pain and evil in this world, but he doesn't have to get rid of us, even though we have sins. Christ on the cross means that even when we're suffering and we see those dark moments and those dark days, that we can be assured that God won't forsake us because Jesus was forsaken in our place. That suffering, Jesus on the cross, means that, that, that we're his dearly loved child. And as, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And that is at the heart of this, this pure joy. That's the first place we have to go whenever we find ourselves suffering because, because of that lie of Satan. Because as soon as we go there, we can always say when we cry out why the one thing that God is not saying. And that's that he doesn't love us. No. Christ on the cross means that he absolutely does love us. Even, even when we see this, even when we face this, and that promises us, that, that, and God promises us that he's going to be with us 
in our personal suffering because of that. Now, I want you to just think about that for a minute because if we have a good God who is willing to suffer for us and he didn't have to, he didn't need to, if he's really God who is, who is all-powerful, then that also means he's all-wise. And that means that sometimes he can take the box of our way of thinking, kind of like that turtle, and, and he can kind of crumple that up and so that when we look at our suffering, we're just like, I, there's no good that can come from this. There's nothing good that can come from this. Remember, God doesn't see things just like we do. If we have a God that's that big and a God that that's, that's that loving that he would go to the cross, then we also have to acknowledge we have a God that's wise enough and, uh, and all-knowing enough that he can, he can see things we can't and he can bend and, and, and shape and, and, and use suffering. Even though he didn't cause it, he can still use it for good. I think that's the second thing that you want to see here as, as James talks about suffering. He says... Because you know, again, another one of those thought words that's then going to translate and kind of radiate throughout their lives, their thoughts, their attitudes, their behaviors. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. If you're looking at the, the sheet here, the second point that he brings up is that we have a good God who uses suffering to build us or grow us. I'm reminded of this every Tuesday and Thursday uh, at the high school that I teach at because on those days, right now in this, this time of year, you have a group of athletes who are getting ready for track, but they, they have to do it in the hallway because the track's kind of covered with snow and it's not very nice outside. Um, so anyways, they run up and down the hallway and you know, they do all this stuff, inflicting pain on themselves. Um, not easy. But at the end of it, they, they finish with some, I don't know, some burnout exercises. It looks kind of uh, painful to me, but... It's always, it's always fascinating because the coach is always, uh, he, he's always right in the middle of it and he's always saying, no pain, and then they all shout in, in unison, no gain. No pain, no gain. Yeah, I think we see that too when you watch those Olympic athletes doing some, some things that's, that are just incredible, whether it's the ice skaters or it's the speed skaters or it's the snowboarders. I mean, you see them doing those incredible things and maybe you find yourself saying, boy, I'd, I'd love to do that. I want to do that. But then you can't say, well, but I, I don't want to wake up early in the morning and practice. Or I want to do what Sean White can do on a snowboard, but I don't, I don't ever want to fall. That would hurt. Uh, no pain, no gain. Now, I, I don't want to be flippant about suffering because I know that some of you, some of you are facing some very hard things. But the Bible, the Bible says that God, that God who went on the cross for us, pay for our sins, to build this relationship with us, to give us that confidence, he says he can also use that for our good and bend and shape it so that it's something that can build us up. And I think it's especially in, in this regard that our faith, which is kind of at the heart of this, right? Our faith is only as strong as that which it rests on, right? It's not about the faith itself, it's what that faith is in. And let's be honest, sometimes, especially when life is easy, what does our faith end up being in more often than not? Or, or maybe like right alongside of our faith in God. I mean, come on, it's, isn't it often in ourselves? What, what I can do, what I can accomplish, what I can conquer, what I can control. What does suffering do? Suffering robs us of that confidence. Which sounds kind of bad. 
But if faith is a confidence in God and in God alone, that's precisely the point. Because sometimes when we find ourselves helpless and we don't know what to do or where to turn, the, the only thing we can do is what Luther himself said, we can abandon ourselves to the cross and to the word and promises of God. And finally, that's the only place where our faith can grow, where our faith can get stronger, where our faith vision can get clearer about what life is really about because those promises of God continually point us away from yourselves. Trust not in your own understanding. Lean on God. And they point us to God and his strength. You know, that's finally it. Even Samson himself found this out, that he was at his strongest when physically he found out how weak he was. And he turned to God for strength. As Paul himself said, when he prayed and prayed and prayed, and God said, no, I'm not going to take this thorn in the flesh away from you, God responded by also reminding him, my power is made perfect in really your weakness, he says. That's God building us. That's God preparing us for whatever life may throw at us. That's God using us so that we might become more mature and complete, not lacking anything. As we finish, you know, there is one thing that we also want to see here, too. Finally, and if we can jump ahead to verse 12, we have a God who will, who will end our suffering. James doesn't say, well, just live with it and try to make the best of it. And, you know, that's just how life is. He says life is hard, but then he goes on to say in verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As we started, we, we kind of talked about and dwelled on this idea that life should be easy. In other words, there's this, this kind of common hunger in all of us that life should be a certain way, but it's not. And God says that's absolutely a lie if we're looking for that here. Because what we're really hungering for is heaven. And heaven is in heaven. But don't think for a moment that that's not coming. Because through Jesus' death, but not just his death, also his resurrection, you are assured that you will have the crown of life. That's victory, but a victory that's tied to a life. Life that wherever you find yourselves hungering and aching and saying, this isn't how it should be, this isn't right, this is a life that God created life to be. This is life where everything is made new and everything is made right. It's not just a blissful non-existence where you're just, eh, just gone. It's not being sucked into some force where you aren't you anymore, you're the force. It's not even just some ethereal spirit existence. It's where you will have a glorious physical body. You will experience life as it was in Eden. You will be around your, your loved ones, restored to you. You will be around God. And there God will wipe every tear that you shed here from your eyes. Never to die, never to ache, never to see pain. We have a good God who will end our suffering and he will satisfy our hunger with the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. You know, as we leave today, I guess I would just have you think this, this through and what that means, you know, for you as you go out these doors. As individuals and as a community of faith, I, I guess leave and acknowledge that life is hard and you know, just, just be willing to, to grieve and mourn. To mourn with those who mourn and to acknowledge that life is hard. Be real about it. 
Be able to talk about it. Be able to share your struggles. Be able to listen to people as they struggle. Life is hard. There's some things that we just can't solve. But as we do, do as a writer says, grieve bathed in hope. A hope that's founded in the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And let that hope shine through that grief, knowing that Jesus wept. God catches all your tears, but he's going to take every one of those tears and he's going to wipe them from your eyes because you have a God who suffered for you. You have a God who will end that suffering and you have a God who right now is using that suffering to be a blessing to you and to others. Amen. Let's, um, let's pray together at this time and then we'll continue with the Lord's Prayer after that.